0: That uh, I want to remind you of Easter coming up and pray for that. Pray that we will be able to reach people. And and those watching online want you to know we're going to be really encouraging people to watch online as well as those that want to come here in person. We're going to have both. And so we do have an extra project in the bulletin. So if you want to give above and beyond what you normally give, we need you to keep regularly giving to the church needs. But if you have uh, resources above and beyond that to give... We're trying to uh, increase the audio level and some other things for our Easter project. You can read about it in there. We'd love for you already. uh, Monies have come in for that. And I know that Pastor Carl has been looking online and eBay and other places to buy things that we need. Uh, He was so excited the other day. We we, we bought uh, a piece of equipment for about a third of the price. Am I right? So so thank you uh, for really working hard on getting things that we need at a good price. So here we are. We're, at, um, we're on forgiveness. Last two weeks we talked about forgiveness between us and God. And now we're going to kind of shift a little bit and look at us and how we deal with other people. And Matthew 18 is a great place to talk about God's perspective on forgiveness. Uh, years ago, I used to travel around the country and stay in a lot of homes. And I found Reader's Digests on the back of the commode in bathrooms. That's where you find them and I would read them. uh, You still have them today? We still have them. So go to the Simon's house. They still have them. And so I would go, and and when I would stay at people's houses, I I would, you know, go into the bathroom, none of your business, but why? But anyways, and and read the Reader's Digest. And in in there, there were stories. There were stories that, short stories in, in there of just unique interest and uh, in, in personal interest stories and things like that that were there. So one day I, I was reading the Reader's Digest, and, and while I was doing it, they, one, one of the stories there was uh, very unique, and I want to share that this morning. It was about this guy and his, and his wife, they've been married for some years, and he... Uh, and it was dinner time, so she put a plate of biscuits and, and gravy in front of him, and he said, you know I don't like biscuits and gravy. She goes, I, it's what I made, that's what you're going to eat. She, he said, I'm not going to eat it. I, I don't like biscuits and gravy. She said, I don't have anything else. You need to eat that. He got so frustrated, so mad, he left the house, joined the Merchant Marines. <laughs> um, it's in the story in there. Ten to fifteen years later, he decides maybe he was a little rash never communicated to her in the entire time so he comes back home she still lives in the house knocks on the door she comes to the door says hey you know maybe I was a little overreactive and they talked a little bit he says I'm hungry she goes great and uh, he sat down at the dining room table she went to the cupboard and opened up the cupboard and she had the same plate of biscuits and gravy that was there 15 years ago put it in front of him said eat this he said I had enough walked out the door never saw him again you know, you think of that. I think of. Uh, I think too of some years ago when when we lived in Florida, and uh, there was a gentleman that was uh, looking to go into ministry. was actually went to school for that, and then he dropped out, and then he became a very successful businessman. But he had a problem. Uh, he committed adultery over and over again. And about the fourth or fifth time, going, the pastor there came to me and said, Hey, would you would you take him and. and didn't work with him. and Obviously, his marriage was in, was in a shambles. His, uh, although his wife stayed with him all that time, but marriage was in shambles. His, his kids were, were just uh, up in you know in an uproar. Just the whole mess. And yet, this guy, he was a very successful businessman. He came to see me. Um, he was uh, dressed very well, very successful, very articulate. Uh, knew how to answer things, he, he had, because he was studying for the ministry, he, he knew more Bible than most of you did, I mean, this guy was very well, uh, succeeded in everything in life, but obviously n- not the major things, and so I began to talk to him, and I began probing, asking the questions as counselors do, and, and trying to figure out what was going on, and, and he answered everyone articulately, and everything, and everything was boxed in and all, and, and I, honestly, I didn't know where to go, and I'm trying to think, where, what question do I ask next? I don't know. And all of a sudden, this question popped in my mind. Later, I realized that the Holy Spirit put it there. And I, so I asked, which, which sounded like it would be a really random question. I said, and, and this guy, he's in his mid 40s. I said, so how's your relationship with your dad? And he turned to me. And all of a sudden, his face just kind of screwed up a little bit, just got angry. And, he, and, and, and his articulation changed. And he said, I hate my dad. I hate my dad. I hate my dad. And I went, oh, I think I hit a nerve, you know. So we got to talk about it a little bit and to kind of find out that when he, was, when he was 10 years old, when he was younger than that, up to 10, his dad would get angry with him and literally kick him around the house. His mom would watch, his family would watch, literally would yell and scream and kick him up and down the house and that. And when he was 10 years old, he said, my dad turned to me, looked at me and said, you'll never be a man. So from 10 years on to where he was about 45 at the time, he was out to prove that he was, quote, a man, end quote, by his actions. You know, I, hear, I share these stories with you because I, I tell you that, that, that all of us deal with this issue of forgiveness. All of us deal with, grapple with the issue of, of interpersonal relationships and, uh, just destroyed by, by somebody. And I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago that, that probably, if we're really honest, most of us struggle greater with problems within our family, whether it's a mom or dad, a husband, wife, children, uh, parents, whether it's a, a, you know, in-laws, it's somebody that we allowed to get close to because the closer you get to somebody, the, the, the more vulnerable we are and the greater the hurt that it comes and we struggle with that hurt. And we struggle with that pain. And, and so when we look at that, you know, we, what's the human perspective of forgiveness? How are we supposed to forgive? Well, here's what, the way I see it, is that there's a limit to one's ability to forgive. Let's be honest. The older you live, you go, you know, Pastor Rick, I get the ideal out there, but there's a limit to my ability to forgive somebody. I have rights, right? This is what I'm told. I can't forgive this side of heaven, or forgiveness is not in my reality, or you say those words that I really don't like, you don't understand? <laughs> it doesn't work in my reality. I, I get that. Without argument, we all agree that forgiveness is a great ideal, but boy, in our reality... You, you know, I, I hear people come to me uh, and, and to us many times about marriage counseling, and, and many times when people come to us, to, to me, unfortunately, marriage counseling, they're ready for divorce, just about. And, and, and Or I get this question... You know, uh, what is it? You know, where, when is it okay to divorce? And, and and I and and while we as a church have a position on that, I guess my question I, I go back so often to, to people who ask that question is this: What what is it that we shouldn't forgive? You, you know, and so I, I look at that and how and you say okay, that's right. But the reality is, and I go yeah, but the reality is, we ought to be forgiving. And so here in Matthew chapter 6, excuse me, 18, uh, Matthew 18, I just did that to see if you're awake. Matthew chapter 18, starting with verse 21, Jesus has already been, so Matthew 18, we often hear about that. Church discipline, our our church discipline has come out of that, and and then uh, Matthew 18. And uh, Matthew 18, verses 1 through 20 actually come from the Old Testament. But, uh, but, but it's a great way of dealing with conflict. And Peter's listening to all this. And so finally in verse 21 of Matthew 18, he says this. Then Peter approached him and asked, Lord, how many times must I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? As many as seven times. Well, where did Peter come up with that number? I'm a numbers guy, as you know. I'm a chart and graph guy, and I like numbers. And so where, where did, what, what, you know, random numbers come up, and where do they come up with him? And some of us think that, well, Peter we, and it was a fisherman. He was ignorant. But understand, he, he, might not, he might be ignorant compared to scholars of the day. But Jewish men and women were well taught. You think of Mary who's a mother of Jesus, who was about 13 or 14 at the time that she became uh, impregnated with, with Jesus, and, and she was able to articulate credible theology at that age. Th- those children, the parents taught their children credible Old Testament theology. They were well-versed in the Old Testament. So with that being said, he went out, and he also knew that the rabbis during that day said that you could only for- you should only forgive three times. That's all you got to do. You forgive once, they had the three strike rules. Forgive twice, the third time, you're out. So that's what the rabbis were saying, three times and you're out. So where did he get to number seven from? Where I suggest that Peter, again, went back to his theology, back to his days where he was trained by his parents and to his synagogue and realized in Genesis chapter 4, verse 15, it says, talking to, about Cain, Then the Lord replied to him, in in that case, whoever kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over. And he placed a mark on Cain so whoever found him would not kill him. So Cain, if you remember when he killed his his brother Abel and and God chastised him and and threw him out and and he said, well, listen, what happens? I'm vulnerable here and vengeance will be on him seven times and put a mark on him because of that. And Peter knew that. And so Peter switched that, flips it around, the concept of vengeance, to forgiveness, and he adds, what, seven more than what the rabbis say. So I can imagine, again, we know Peter. Peter's always, he always was speaking up. So the rabbi said three times. Peter's thinking, okay, in the Old Testament, God said that if anybody you know, hit, uh, hurt Cain or killed Cain, the vengeance would be on him seven times. I'm going to flip that number around. I'm going to say seven times we ought to forgive. And I think he's waiting for an attaboy, don't you? going, hey, I think we ought to forgive seven times. I think he was waiting for Jesus to go, oh, Peter, I was going to say six, but you said seven. Attaboy. You are something else, right? But that's not what he said. But instead, Jesus said in verse 22, I tell you, not as many as seven, but 70 times seven. So where did Jesus get that number from? I think back that Jesus caught the idea where Peter was coming from, and when Peter quoted from uh, Genesis 4.15, then Jesus went to Genesis 4.24. And that and that's where it's talking about Lamech, who is a, a descendant of Cain, and Lamech was a bad man. He was a bad dude, okay? And he was very arrogant and cocky, and he said this, if Cain is avenged seven times over, then for Lamech, it will be 70 times seven. You think that vengeance... God's going to do vengeance on anyone that kills Cain seven times. Well, tell you what, anyone messes with me, it's 70 times seven is what he said. And so Jesus picked up on the story and flipped it around and said 70 times seven. So what was he saying? It was was a number. And again, he wasn't talking about a a number at that moment in time. He said, no matter how you put it, Jesus was communicating continual and abundant forgiveness. See, God's forgiveness is when we forgive... We are to forgive in the same measure that we are forgiven by God. Let's define it now, and we're going to keep repeating it in the next couple of weeks. Forgiveness is releasing the debt that somebody owes us and giving it to God to do with any way that He wants to. Forgiveness is releasing the debt that somebody owes us. Here's the reality. Today, this morning, right now, where you're seated or you're watching us online, somebody has wronged you. Or somebody's have wronged you. Every one of us. If I had a microphone, went around the room and said, give me a, 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 give me a, a time when somebody wronged you, every one of us would have a story. Some of us would be more intense than others. Some of you are sitting here that have been sexually abused. Some of you have been gone through a horrible divorce. Some of you have gone through some horrible situations and, and physically abused. Some of you have gone through some emotional things and just absolutely indescribable times of your life. And all of us have these stories that we've we've been hurt, and forgiveness is you having the ability and the capability of releasing the debt and giving it to God and say, God, I can't carry this any longer. I can't deal with it any longer. I'm giving it to you to do whatever you want to. God, if you want to bless them, bless them. If you want to kill them, which is my opinion, kill them, whatever you want to do, (laughs) because I can't handle this any longer releasing the debt to you let me tell you what forgiveness is not it does not mean to pretend that there is no debt to pay that is not true because there is a debt to pay don't put it down maybe you're here and you're trying to rationalize your mind and that's what we do sometimes well it wasn't that bad yes it was i'm I'm not saying that you need to don't don't Forgiveness doesn't mean that you become delusional. Well, it it was a little bit bad, but it's okay, God's... No, it was bad. It's okay, to be honest with it. Number two, it it doesn't mean that there is no pain. No, there is horrible pain. And let me tell you that the forgiveness pain takes away the burden, and there's a difference. It does not mean approving of what someone else did It does not mean making excuses for others' bad behavior. It does not mean overlooking abuse. We're not saying that. It does not mean denying that others have tried to hurt you repeatedly. It does not mean letting others walk all over you. It does not mean refusing to press charges when a crime is committed. You can forgive somebody and still press charges. It does not mean that all the negative consequences of sin is canceled because it's not. What forgiveness does, it brings freedom to the one releasing it, even if the other does not ask for it or receive it. If someone's not asking for forgiveness, or even if they choose not to receive it, you can still be released because you forgave. Number two, demonstration of humility. Did you know that it takes as much or not more humility to forgive as it is to be forgiven? And what forgiveness does is trusting God will work through my forgiveness to the other side of the offender. See, 70 times 7, it's not a number. It was a Hebrewism. It meant to forgive over and over and over and over again. It's never stopped forgiving. And I, and I used to say, I used to think that, you know what that means? It means that, you know, uh, that keep forgiving somebody that keeps repeating something over and over again. And, but I don't think that's the context. You know, it's like my wife, you know, she does this thing and I, you know, and I forgive her for that, and she does something else, I forgive her for that. And that, I mean, you don't know how many times I had to forgive my wife. I mean, over and over, I got to forgive my wife, you know, over and over and over in that until I re- realize how many times she's got to forgive me, right? But I don't think there's a context here. I, I think here, can I suggest something this morning? I think in this context, it's talking not about normal everyday life things, it's talking about the, the it that time the time that somebody hurt you and when i say that every one of you right now has got something in your mind don't you time that instance that you got hurt and for some of you ready for this some of you in your 50s 60s 70s it's it was back i think the worst years of life are age at grade six seven and eight i think they're brutal because when you're in 6, 7, and 8, they are the, most people, the kids are the most brutal in those ages. And I've seen adults still struggle with things said to them in those ages. But whatever it is, there's that situation, that time, that you struggle with. That it happened to you, and you feel like, I just can't get over it. That's what Jesus was saying That's the situation you need to forgive today and then forgive tomorrow and then forgive again and forgive. Understand, we're going to say this at the end, forgiveness is never a one-time deal. It's a repetitive thing that happens over and over and over again. It doesn't stop. That's what we're finding here in our story. Jesus realizes when he said that that the the eyes of the, of the disciples were you white know, as big as cows. And they're going, what in the world is he talking about? This is, We've never heard anything like this before. And to forgive in the same measure that we're forgiven by God. What are the, how in the world? And so, so Jesus said, let me, tell, let me teach, you, teach you a truth through a parable. And so he went and he talked about the compassion of the king. Look at verses 23 and 24, the unreconciled accounts. He said, for this reason, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle accounts, the there one to owed 10,000 talents was brought before him. Now, understand that a talent is the highest known denomination of currency in the Roman Empire, and 10,000 was the highest number in the Greek language. It's the word myriast, where we get the word myriad from. So Jesus uses the biggest number in the Greek language. I mean, he used the... The you know you know ten to the, to the trillionth power. Okay, I mean he, he used a number that was that was the most extraordinary, absurd, wide, wild number that things different. So I looked at it and said, well, let me just take it literally. And so let's take this number literally. And, and the talent is a weight of between fifty-eight to eighty pounds. It's normally the weight for gold. So if we took it literally. The, the, the amount that he was talking about here in today's dollars would be $20,168,000,000. That, that would be the, the amount. Now, just to give you comparison's sake, the taxes in Judea, Idumea, and Samaria during this day was only 600 talents for total for all three. And this guy owed 10,000 talents. Do you get the idea? The amount was just shown, an incredible amount that could never be paid back. Look at verse 25. So, since he did not have the money to pay it back, his master commanded that he, his wife, his children, everything he had be sold and be paid into debt. See, selling people into slavery was extremely common in the ancient world. It was abhorrent to the Jewish people, but you could sell somebody for between 200 dollars and $250,000 apiece. And so, you had a family, your mom and dad, and, and six children. They had large families back then, maybe more. You, you would sell for $2 million. So the point was not to get your money back. That wasn't the point. The point was that they violated the, the, their contract, and so now they're going to be put in slavery, lost their freedom for the rest of their life. Are you getting the analogy so far that Jesus was trying to get here? And, and so this guy owed 220 billion dollars, excuse me. Now look at verse 26, the unpavable debt. And the servant fell on his face, desperate. Now he saw what was going to happen, and he said, Be patient with me, and I will pay you everything. Really? What an absurd thing to say. Hey, don't worry, king. I'll pay it all back. I'll fix this. (laughs) So I did a little math. If you worked eight-hour days for $30 an hour every day of your life, and you put every penny to the debt, it would take you 230,137 years, and if you say, well, I can make more than $30 an hour, okay, let's say you can make $120 an hour, now you got it down to only about 60,000 years, way to go, or let's say that you're really good, and you could pay a million dollars a year off the debt, well, if you could pay a million dollars a year off the debt, it would only take you 20,160 years to do that, oh, but wait a minute, we forgot interest. So let's put one percent interest on there, and you're going to have to take out another two hundred million the first year. Do you understand what this number was? It was it, the point was there's no way. And here's what I find here. There's no way he could, he, could, he could pay it, but look at verse 26. He was unwilling to humble himself to that reality. Here's this guy that was absolutely, totally dead to rights, had no way to pay it, none at all. He's still trying to negotiate his freedom, and there's nothing he can do. And if I was the king, I'd go, ha, <laughs> ha executioners wouldn't you? But look at verse 27, the unforgiven will forget unbelievable forgiveness. Then the master of the servant servant had compassion, releasing him and forgave him the loan. That word compassion is mentioned in Mark 936 talking about how Jesus had compassion to the, the crowds. The king seeing the servant. Not humble, not merciful, not being at begging for mercy, but trying in his own fumbling way, trying to figure a way to get out of this, but in his own compassion, the king said, I forgive you to debt. Does that not blow you away? See, what's the story about? It isn't about him. It's about the king. It wasn't about what the, this servant did, it was about the compassion of the king looking, doing, even trying to make right he's doing it wrong and still in compassion saying, I forgive you. And he just with one sentence wipes out $20 billion debt. Now, that's so inconceivable. You're looking at me this morning, but so let me just say it this way. Let's do an Oprah Winfrey on you. You get a new car and you get a new car. Uh, and, and, I, and I tell you that this morning, we got to all your bank accounts. And I want you to know when you leave this morning, your mortgage is completely paid for, your car payments are completely paid for, your credit cards are completely paid for, everyone's walking out of here totally debt free. How would you respond? How would you respond? Wouldn't it? Yeah. I mean, you'd be so, so excited. Michael would be dancing in the, hall, in, in the aisle there, close to it. I bet it would. I bet we do it. We could shave your beard off. Okay, so we can. it would be exciting to see what God can do. I mean, when this happens, I mean, it'd be amazing, and we'd be so excited. to so look at this guy. He does... Not only did he get forgiven a $20 billion debt, but he got freed. There's no jail time. His family's free. Everything's spent. You think he'd go party. This is awesome. I'm free, right? But because he doesn't understand fully what it was, he's been forgiven, watch what he does. Look at this. The cold-heartedness of, of the servant. Verse 28, the unreconciled accounts. The servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 denarii. He grabbed him started choking him and said, pay what you owe. He took him by the throat. By the way, the Roman law allowed this. And this guy walked out just being forgiven a $20 billion loan. He looked for somebody that owed him money and grabbed him by the throat, it was rough, was un- 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 uncompassionate, he said, pay me what thou owest." And it says there that what he owed him, watch this, what he owed him was 100 a, a a, a hundred denarii. And what's a denarii? And a hundred days' work comes to about, let's say, about $20,000. So now it's a million-to-one ratio to what he was forgiven, to what this guy owed. Now look at verses 29 and 30, a payable debt. At this point, the fellow servants fell down and began begging, saying, Be patient with me, because I can pay you, pay you back. Same as the same servant, the first servant said, But by the way, is this possible? Yes! Some of you got a $20,000 debt on your car or your credit, you know, credit cards or whatever you have, and you understand it, and it's, re- it's reasonable. And this guy said, listen, give me some time, let's make payments, and, and I'll pay you back. A reasonable request. But verse 30, an unbelievable unforgiveness, but he was unwilling. Instead, he went and threw him into prison until he could pay what he owed. And probably that prison was a detention area who those who could not pay would live to pay off their debt through work. Do you see see what we're talking about here? Jesus was given an illustration that what God did to us. The forgiveness that God gave us. The amazing forgiveness of God, and, and in paying a, a debt that we owe, that we there's no way we could owe it back, and even in our fumbling, even in our ungratefulness, even in our humanness, that we ought to be damned in hell. God still said, I love you, and I'm going to put grace on you, and I'm going to save you. And I often say this, why would God love me? Why would God love you? I don't have a clue, but aren't you glad he forgave? And do you understand what you've been forgiven? A debt that was so insurmountable that you could not... You cannot pay it, and most of us, the reason why we can't forgive others is because we don't have a clue what we've been forgiven from God, and when we understand that, we don't walk around choking people saying, I can't believe you wronged me. Another thing I find in this story is interesting. The second guy owed the first guy $20,000, I'm going, you know, God, if I was writing the Bible, I would make the second guy owe the first guy like two dollars then I start, start thinking about more. I'm going, no, God's right again. Rick's wrong again. Because if you didn't know the first part of the story, and all you knew is the second part of the story, and all you knew is that the second guy reneged on his deal and stopped paying off the $20,000 debt. Man, if, you, if somebody owes you $20,000, that's a lot of money. Am I right? I mean, that's a lot of money. That, that's nothing to sneeze at. That. That is a lot of, if somebody owes you $20,000 and they're not paying it back to you, and they, and they, they haven't paid it back when they promised to, that's a lot of money. And, and you ought to say, yeah, I, I'd call a lawyer or call the police or do something to get them involved, and I'd get angry, and boy, you got your rights, you need to get that money back. But now, if I put in what's happened in the first part of the story, I'm going, what in the world is that guy doing? You see how your perspective changes? watch this verse 31 when the other servants saw what had taken place they were deeply distressed and when they reported to their master everything that has happened you know that verse is quickly read over I want to stop there because you know what happens when you as a Christian when we as a church do not display biblical forgiveness we forget people watch and we have a world watching how we live out what we say we believe and when we don't live it out they're saying yep there it is and they're distressed because I believe the world is looking for truth. Many people in the world are looking for truth. And when they see that we're not living out what we believe, they're going, they're confused. Go on. The chastisement of the king, verse 32. Then, after he summoned him, the master said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all the debt because you begged me to. Verse 33. Compassion, is, compassion given is compassion to give, not get. It says, shouldn't you also have mercy on your fellow servant as I have mercy on you? And look at verse 30. It says, in crisis, and because he was angry, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he paid back everything he owed. That word torture or torment is an interesting word because in other parts of Scripture, let me tell you how it's translated. In Mark six forty-eight, it's translated stress. Revelation 12, 2, it's translated Pain. Mark 14 24, it's translated adverse circumstances. In 1 Peter 2, 8, it, or 2 Peter 2.8, it's translated emotional suffering. Here's what he's saying. When you choose not to forgive, then, then God allows stress, pain, adverse circumstances, and emotional su- suffering to come in your life. Why? To get you to repent. You see, this can't be punishment. Because all your sins have been paid for in full, but instead it's chastening, loving hand of God that bring you to a point of freedom and repentance. Because what is forgiveness? It's releasing the debt you owe and giving it to God to do it with anything, any way He wants to. And what? Let's say you choose not to forgive. Let's say you say, "I just." Once again, you're bold enough to say to me. Well, you don't understand. Okay. Perhaps I can't. But if you're here this morning and that it, that situation, that person that's in your mind that did you wrong, that violated you, that hurt you deeply, and please understand, I'm not putting it down. I'm not saying it's not a big deal. It is a big deal. It was wrong. It does hurt. And there is badness going on. Understand, I get it. But if you're not willing to release that debt and give it to God and let Him deal with it instead of you... This morning I'm going to tell you two things that's going to destroy next week I'm going to tell you another thing. First of all, it will destroy you physically. Keep your finger in Matthew 18 and go to Psalm 32. Psalm chapter 32. Did you know that an unforgiving spirit will forgive you will will destroy you physically? Psalm 32 is a psalm that David wrote with David sinned with Bathsheba and in your quiet time you saw the story of that, and now we're in Psalm 32. We're going to talk about, again, another psalm that during this time that he wrote. In Psalm 32, an unforgiving spirit destroys us physically. L- look at verse 1. How joyful is one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Therefore, where there is unforgiveness, there is no joy. An unforgiving Christian will generally be unhappy. I've not seen a real happy Christian that's, that chooses not to forgive, Verse 2, how joyful is a person to whom the Lord does not charge with iniquity and whose spirit is no deceit. Deceit means character, the destruction of character. An unforgiving Christian will destroy their integrity. Then verses 3 and 4, when I kept silent, my bones became brittle from my groaning all the day long. From day and night, your hand was heavy on me. My strength was drained as in the summer heat. Selah. An unforgiving spirit will sap your, your strength. An unforgiving Christian will be affected physically. In fact, th- th- there's all kinds of reports out from the Journal of Behavioral Medicine and, and all kinds of doctors. There's clear reports that when you are full of bitterness and an unforgiving spirit, that it will increase your blood pressure. and it, it, it affects your, your heart. It affects your mind. It affects you physically in so many ways. It's unbelievable. But an unforgiving spirit not only can destroy you physically, but an unforgiving spirit will destroy your fellowship with God. We talked a little bit about that last week, but back to your, your passage here in Mar- and, uh, Matthew 18. When we do not forgive others, we set ourselves up as a higher judge than God. Remember, God has forgiven your sins and lied the fact we are to forgive others. And if we don't, there are consequences with our relationship with God. Matthew chapter 6, verse 15 Matthew 6 is where Jesus gave the famous the Lord's Prayer, it's where he gave a template to the disciples how they should pray. But there's only one point that he explains. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 15, he says, But if you don't forgive others, your offenses. Did you get that? If you choose not to forgive somebody after God has forgiven you of your $20 billion debt, and you won't forgive somebody their 20000 dollars debt in comparison? And God says, I will not forgive you. Now, this doesn't have to do with salvation. It has to do with your fellowship. Look back in verse 35, the commandment of God. The conclusion of Jesus' illustration, his parable. He says this, So also my heavenly Father will do to you unless every one of you forgives his brother or sister from your heart. Superficial forgiveness is not enough. It must come from the heart. Die to yourself. Yield to the Holy Spirit. What is forgiveness? It's releasing that debt. It's saying, God, you know what that person did to me. You know how they hurt me badly. You know how they violated my person. You know the detail, the depth of that heart, that hurt. And God, my flesh wants that person to go to hell. So I can't deal with it. So if I'm honest with you, I'm going to release the debt they owe me, and I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to let you deal with it any way you want to, because I can't. What does forgiveness look like? It's releasing the debt to God, but it's also reminding yourself often of the forgiveness of God in your life. So this morning, have you received the forgiveness of God? Do you know Jesus Christ is your personal Savior? Listen, this this doesn't work if you're lost. You paid, I love that it says that you, you owed a debt you could not pay. He paid a debt he did not owe. Oh, this morning, say, God, I know I deserve hell and I'm a sinner. I'm asking Jesus to save me. But number two, is there someone that you're struggling to forgive? Do you got that it in your life? Do you got that situation in your life? That one or two situations you're going, this destroyed me, this hurt me. That, that this person, and, and probably it's a family member. Maybe they don't even know it, maybe they do, it doesn't matter. But in your, you know it, and it's eating away at your soul like cancer. And you've tried everything. How's it working? And God says you need to forgive. Because if you don't, it affects your health. It will affect not only your health, it affects your fellowship with God, it hinders your revival of God's people. It hardens your heart to the experience of grace, and it places you in the chastening hand of God. See, forgiveness is not a matter of I can't. And you might be sitting there going, Pastor Rick, I just can't. No, that's not true. If you are a Christian, you can. It's not I can't, it's I won't. Be honest. Just say, no, I just will not. Okay? Then you're destroying your fellowship with God, and you're destroying yourself physically. Next week, you're going to destroy yourself emotionally. But here's the practice of forgiveness. Now understand something. This is really important. Don't check out because you see we're almost done. Forgiveness is an event and it's also a process. It's an event. It's, it's, you got to come to the point where you said, because some of you, it could have happened when you were four years old 10 years old, 20 years old, doesn't matter. But that event, and you got to say, God, I'm tired of trying to deal with this. I'm tired of rationalizing away. And that the event is today, it's now where I'm going to say, God, you know how I feel about this person. You know what I wish would happen, but I know that I am, my, it's my old nature. I'm in sin. And I know I need to release the debt to forgive them because you've forgiven me. And this morning, I'm releasing the debt, and I'm going to give it to you. You deal with it, God, because I can't. That's the event. Now watch. Forgiveness is also a process. Huh. You might be here this morning. You go, you know, I can do that. I think I can do that. And, and, you, and you say, okay. And maybe you go, well, Pastor Rick, I've done that before, but I'm still struggling with it. You're right, because hey, welcome to life. You're going to struggle with forgiveness until you have your perfected body and glory. You could say right now, I've asked forgiveness, and I got the freedom of it, and you could turn, and by the time you get to that door, all of a sudden, that old nature starts creeping back up again. Do you know what I'm talking about? Have you ever had that feeling? Okay, I have, and all of a sudden, when I get to that door, I got I to forgive again, release the debt again, and then I'm doing, okay, I'm relieved, and then I get to the glass doors out there, and it happens again. Then I get to my car, and it happens again, you might have to release the debt 1,000 times before you go to bed night. you go, oh, that sounds exhausting. Well, listen, you know what the problem is? The old nature wants control, and it has been whipping you up, up right, right side, and left, up and down, and it's time for you to find the freedom that you have in Christ. And hopefully, you forgive that person 1,000 times today. Tomorrow, it might be 900, the next day 800, and all of a sudden, you realize that's the new spirit that's going to get control, not the old. But then you know what happens? You're fine for a week, two, a month, and then you get an emotional tsunami. It could be a smell. It could be a touch. It could be a word. It could be a song. And boom, all those feelings come rushing back to you again. And then again, you've got to stop and say, okay, God, I'm going to release to debt Because you might say, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with you is you're broken. What's wrong with you is you've got a filthy, rotten nature that wants control and is trying to gain control. That's what's wrong with you. And you, so you, you do it again, and you do it again, and you don't yield to spirit that will destroy you, but you let go. Walter Walgreen, Darren, in your notes there, he said this, Forgiving will not immediately soothe your pain. Instead, it introduces a different pain, a much more hopeful pain because it is redeeming. You do not deny yourself and, and die a little in order to forgive. Pride dies. Fairness dies, rights died, and so do self-pity in the sweetness of a pout of a, or a satisfaction of a little righteous wrath. You take leave of the center of the relationship and of your own existence. You die a little that that relationship might rise to life. One story and I'm done. Years ago, when I was speaking at, it's called the World Life Ranger Camp, it's the the middle school or junior high ministry that that where life has and i was speaking that summer and afterwards about forgiveness and this afterwards this young lady she's about 12 13 years of age came up with her counselor and we sat on the bench right over here i can still remember that i sat down and counselor said she needs to talk to you and i could see she she was a pretty little girl but she had her face her jaw was set her eyes were sunk in. She was, you could tell how tense she was just, just looking at me. And, and she said, I have a question for you. And I said, okay. And she said, you talked about forgiveness today. I said, "That did. She said, three years ago, well, she said, a while ago, my mom and dad divorced. My mom remarried. Three years ago, my stepbrother began to hurt me and violate me over and over. About a year or two years ago, social services came in and took him away. And then she began weeping. She said, three months ago, they put him back in the house. Are you telling me I've got to forgive him? I said, no, honey, I'm not. But God is. He said, how, how can I? And I said, well, number one, I'm, I'm hoping that social services put, there, there needs to be some barrier. And you know never to be alone with him. And there's, there's, there's some realities there that they've got to be there. And in my mind, I'm going, what in the world's going on? And, I, and I'm just in turmoil. My, my flesh side wants to, to get some of you guys to come with me and go find him, you know, and it's my flesh. I'm going, wait a minute. He needs Jesus too. And then I, I, I turned to her and I said, and with giving all these safeguards and putting them together, here's what you need to do. You need to release that debt. You need to give it to God. You need freedom. This is tearing you up. This is destroying you. It's not hurting him. It's destroying you. She said, I won't. I said, "Okay, well, at least you're being honest." She first said, "I can't." I said, "No, you won't. You got it, release." And now I'm about crying. Her counselor's just sitting there praying, and she finally broke. She goes, "What do I do?" I said, "Just pray." And you just say, "God," you tell God exactly what you want Him to do to this guy. Tell Him the truth, and then say, "I'm going to release the debt given to you. I want to forgive him." I said, "Would you want me to help you with the words?" She said, "No, I think I got it. It's okay." Oh, man, you talk about a brutally honest prayer. I love teenagers for that. They, they don't know how to be hypocritical yet, you know, and she's just laying it out, and I'm weeping. I'm crying. and going, I can't believe this because she's saying stuff that I, I should be saying to God, and, you know, Lord, you know, I, I'm trying to love you, and this is happening. You know I, I hate him, but I know I shouldn't, and, I mean, she's laying it all out, and then she stops, and she said, Lord, I forgive him. And I'm releasing the debt. And I'm asking and giving it to you because I can't. And then she breaks down. And I think I prayed. I don't know what I said. And finished. And she looked up. And I'm telling you, her whole countenance changed. I told her the same thing. Now, when you get to the door, you're going to do this again. When you get home, it's going to be a life struggle. But I want God, you to be free now and not go through all the heartache. And be free from your sin. And be free from the bondage of somebody else's and release the debt. What about that this morning to you? This morning. If we're honest, each one of us, God, have somebody that has hurt us. God, some of the stories I have heard are horrible, they're indescribable. God, there are stories that I'm going, how can any human do this to another but God you've asked us to forgive not to release them from punishment not to release them from anything but God to release us from the burden to carrying this around God you're the great scorekeeper you're the great judge and and God in your sovereignty you handle all things but God I I need to remind myself that I am so glad that you gave me mercy mercy And I just pray this morning, God, I don't know to whom I'm speaking to. I don't know the situations that are here, but I know this. That so many of us are, are, are heavy laden and carrying a backpack with 500 pounds in it. And all we've got to do is let go and release it. But then, Lord, we're going to have we pick it back up again. We need to release it again. God, may we find this journey of true forgiveness and the freedom that's in it. God, may we realize that at the heart of worship, it's not about me. It's all about you. In Jesus' name, amen.